so nice to be with you this weekend especially and as we celebrate uh, the last decade of uh, the hail's been here and just a wonderful season. Um, I have a message in my heart that's, uh, it's, I'm going to have to pull it together. Sometimes you're in a meeting and the Lord has one thing he wants to say and sometimes he wants to say a lot of things and, and pull it all together. So I'm going to try and do that. So if you can stick with me, I'll try and speak slowly. Did you all, did you all know that you speak funny? Because <laughs> sometimes, although I speak the perfect English, not everybody understands me, so I'll try and do it slow. I have a sermon entitled, New Every Morning. New Every Morning. There were some psalms that David wrote where he indicates in the title of the psalm that it's supposed to be both read and sung. It's a didactic. It's a psalm that is supposed to teach us something. So some of the psalms that David wrote, and one of them we're going to look at now, Psalm 65, were written like this, and he said, look, you can read this like a poem, or you can sing this to the congregation. But either way, David understood something that actually this is going to be something that launches messages. This is a teaching to the church. Now Psalm 65 is about the great God who owns the whole earth and he's praised throughout the whole earth and he's praised at every season of life. And the, uh, the Psalm introduces this idea that God has beginnings and endings to things. God creates rhythm and season for a reason. He creates pauses and stops and rest and margin so that there can be fresh starts and new hope and clean endings. These pauses, these stops and starts again, aid perseverance and they inspire hope. Uh, They put a year to bed and they prepare a brand new year. They put a day to rest and they start a brand new one. It's almost like the Lord gives us these opportunities to take a fresh, you've been holding on throughout the day and you're tired by the end of the day and he goes, well, rest a little and then tomorrow take a fresh grip and you know, pick up some new, remember my promise. It's almost like every day starts anew. And so let me read you Psalm 65, some verses. The whole earth is filled with the awe at your wonders, but where morning dawns and evening fades, You call forth songs of praise. God says, listen, when one day is ending and another day is beginning, that's the time that I want praise from you. Where morning dawns and evening fades, you've called forth for songs of praise, which is you're at the end of a decade and the beginning of a new one, and it's appropriate that praise springs forth out of this church. You care for the land and you water it and you enrich it abundantly, verse 10. You drench its furrows and level its ridges and you soften it with showers and bless it with crops. You crown the year with your bounty and your carts overflow. I'm intrigued by verse 8 which says where morning dawns and evening fades. Um, Spurgeon said, for our rising hours are bright with hope and our evening moments mellow with thanksgiving. Or Henry, Matthew Henry said, the light of the morning which befriends the business of the day or the shadows of the evening which befriend the repose of the night. God has ordained an etiquette at when there is a transition time. There is a beginning and an ending. And in the middle of that transition, he wants praise and thanksgiving out of our mouths. Now this rhythmic approach to life is important because it gives us moments where we're called to great performance and then it also gives us moments where we call to choice reflection. 
times of massive endeavor, times of peaceful rest. And um, this juxtaposition of the season with the next season, this, this moment and the next moment, carry great promise in Scripture. So I want to just show you this a little bit, because this is intriguing to me, this concept that I'm just trying to bring to you now. Uh, the Lord is kind of like saying, hold on, when the night is the dark, he's going, hold on, the day's almost here, the darkness is almost gone, we're going to come through. So Psalm 30, I want to show you this, this what the scripture talks about, the brand new, the new day brings with it new blessings. Psalm 30 verse 5, weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Psalm 65, when morning dawns and evening fades, you call forth songs of joy. Psalm 42, the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night his song shall be with me. A prayer to the God of my life. God is in the midst of her, Psalm 46, she shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. So there's this idea that uh, in in the dawning of a day, God's going to bless it. He's going to give us new favor, new blessings, new opportunities. In the morning, the sun will come out, life will be better, all will be well. Now this intrigues me, this idea, because I know uh, in theology, one of the most fundamental principles of systematic theology is that God is immutable, which means he never changes. So if you believe in the immutable, the, the, the immutably good God, because By definition, God is perfect, and he cannot change. If he changed, he would be diminished. Does that make sense? God is immutable. That's fundamental theology. He does not change. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, as Hebrews 13 says. This is fundamental. I am the Lord. I do not change. I am not a man that I should lie. In him, there is no shadow of change. There's many, many scriptures that deal with this. I'm just giving you a bite-sized chunk here, but the fundamental issue is God is perfectly good and upright and holy and true and wise. And so any change in his will or his nature would be a diminishment. So his character and his will and his promises are unchanging. That's very good news. Isn't it good news? Now this is my question. If you believe in the immutable God and you believe that he is eternal in, in that he's not like, a, like people where we have limits. God is unlimited in every direction. So the, the flow from him, he is the source of every good thing. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, who is unchanging, the scripture says, right? So this eternal flow, it's not like he's ever gonna run dry. Oh, sorry guys, I used up all my love. There's only irritation left. No, there's an eternal depth, right, in God for us. So if you believe that God never changes and that he is eternal and therefore there will be an eternal flow of resource, then it's awkward for me because I go, well, why, why in the morning is it better than in the evening? Because he's always the same. That makes sense. If he's always the same, why does he say that there's a difference between the morning and the evening? Lamentations 3 says this, Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Now I go, how come the compassions of God are new every morning if God is immutably good and his resources never run dry? How come his compassions weren't new yesterday evening? 
And here's the truth. They were. It's just that God has helped us because we're not infinite yet. Our mortality has not yet been swallowed up by the immortal. We are still subject to this world and its problems and its issues and its strains. We still get tired. We still get hungry. We still run dry. And so God builds in rhythm and season. He builds in uh, the ending of something and the beginning of something. There is the beginning of the week and the end of the week. The beginning of the month, the end of the month. This is outlined in all of Israel's history. There was the new moon celebration for the start of the month. There was the Sabbath day for the start of the week. There was a celebration at all different seasons. All of the feasts of Israel marked the new feast seasons. And so you have this rhythmic approach to life. So God builds into our lives because we are human. He builds in these opportunities where it suddenly feels like God has made more available to us. His compassions never fail and they are new every morning. That's a juxtaposition. Do you understand? So if they never fail, then surely they're always available. And uh, as one of the commentators says, they are refreshingly uh, offered. The invitation is newly repeated. So what happens is, typically, is that we start to trust God for something. You're holding on for a promise. And the promise doesn't come immediately. And life is tough, and there's some headwinds, and you're walking uphill, and you're clinging on. And so the Lord looks at the amount of time and the amount of resource you have, and he goes, you know what? I'm just going to bite this. I'm going to break this into bite-sized chunks for you, because this is going to take probably three weeks. And you're looking like you're getting tired after half a day, so I'm going to just hang in there to the end of the day. And I'm going to give you some rest. And then tomorrow morning, I'm going to refresh make it again the invitation. Hey, my compassions for you, my tender love, my mercy. Guess what? It's, it's new for you again. And you go, oh. and you grab hold again, fresh onto the promise. Do you understand what God's doing? He's just making it, giving us a little bit of a bite-sized break so that you can grab onto it again with fresh hope and new vision and, woo, I'm feeling good. Let's go. Let's trust God. So the Lord does this for us. He does it for us, because he doesn't need it. Because after a while, you start to think this through, you go, but all of the promises of God, no matter what promises God has made, they're all yes for me, at all times in Christ. Right? You start thinking through, you suddenly go, well, the mercies of God are new for me right now, and right now, and right now. The mercies of God, the tender, loving kindness of God is available to you. But he says, great is your faithfulness. Your mercies are new every morning. At the beginning of every new endeavor, at a moment when you're trusting God again, he goes, yeah, come on. You can reach up and take a fresh hold. And when your grip is slipping and your feet have almost lost their traction, he gives you a rest and then you can take a fresh grip on the promises. You can take a fresh run at the heart of God. You can take a fresh opportunity to call out to God. And that's why Jesus said, listen, if if you keep knocking, knock and keep on knocking and the door will be open for you. Seek and keep on seeking. You'll find. Ask. Keep on asking and you'll receive. Because everybody who perseveres at asking receives, and everybody who perseveres at knocking, door opens for them. Very good news. When I first got married, um, I told my wife that I loved her, and I figured, because I'm a man, that if anything changed, I'd let her know. You know how that works. 
but I told you three years ago I loved you. Well, nothing's changed. And then you find out that your wife probably wants to hear it more often. But nothing's changed. I still love you. The Lord promises things to us, but he understands. We probably need fresh whispers of the promise. We need a fresh conversation. We need a, a new hug and a fresh whisper. And, I, and, I, and, and that's what he does. So it's the immense kindness of God, not only to make the promise, but all, and although he doesn't need to make the promise again, because once he gives his word, he never backs down from it. Right? He cannot be unfaithful, the Bible says, because he would have to deny himself. Even if we are faithless, he cannot be unfaithful because he can't deny himself. He's going to be faithful and loving to you no matter what you do. No matter what circumstance you're in, no matter what time of day it is, he's going to be who he is. But sometimes he creates these moments. So if, you've, if you can catch that concept, we can move. It seems like that at the start of new things, God reminds us of all the supplies that are available to us. There are new compassions. Today, there are new mercies for you. There's new hope. There's new peace. There's new grace. There's new joy. There's new love. There's extra understanding. I don't think you guys are getting it because you're not happy. <laughs> See, this is really good news. And after we've rested in the morning, we get up again. And we start again, we get to let go of the old and we get to embrace the new and take a fresh grip and restart, refreshed and encouraged. And that's the purpose of the Lord. So whatever you need today, right now, whether it's grace or peace or a clean slate or wisdom or truth or courage or revelation, they're all yours if you will turn your eyes to the one who's the source of them all. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. So when you seek him out, you'll find him. And when you wait on him, you'll hear his voice. And all of these treasures will be unlocked to you. Colossians 2, we brought it up in the prayer meeting. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in mind so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We're at 0202020. Uh, years since we had a date like this. You can look forward, you can look back. 2020 vision is our portion, no matter which way you're looking. This is the invitation of the date. The Lord's going, uh, but by the way, it's not just about today. You could have asked the Lord yesterday, or, and you can ask him tomorrow. He'll give the same thing to you. He just creates these moments like today and says, you know what? There's a 2020 vision, no matter which way you look. Do you want to know something? You go, yeah, I want to know. And he goes, well, all the, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Jesus. If you want to know something, come and ask him. Now, that, tomorrow, that's going to be exactly the same because he never changes, and, but it's just he creates these moments. Are you tracking with me? Because we're young, so he helps us. 
So if you understand that, that there is a free availability for every promise of God, that you can reach in and lay hold of the promises of God, you can reach in and lay hold of the resources of God because they're all found in one person. You cannot access any of the resources of heaven without going through the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you go through Jesus, all, all of heaven is unlocked to you. Because if you seek first the king and his kingdom, everything in the kingdom will be unlocked to you. This is the way it works. And so, um, I, I, so that was the sermon I started. And when I was preparing, I felt like I needed to take a left turn. So here it comes. Because the Lord is speaking to you about rest. If, uh, in, if you think in a strategic way, if you want to grow uh, like, like uh, 0 to 5% growth, that's, that's, that's tiny growth, it's going to grow, you're going you're to add two or three people, four or five people to the church this year, then you don't need to change much. That's sort of going to happen. If you want to grow from sort of 10 to 25% growth, then you can tighten up on your systems, you can sharpen up, you can ask for more sacrifice, you can call people, come on, we can do this. And so that's going to require a little bit more focus and a little bit more energy. Come on, you can, we can, if we pull together, if we focus, if we in unity, we can make this happen. If you want to grow from 25 to 50%, so we're going to add another 40 people this year, then it probably means that you have to change some, some, some significant things need to change. Right? Suddenly you have to have a different way of doing things. You can't grow by 50% and, and ask people, because people are doing what they're doing. You can't ask for 50% more commitment. Like People are going, like, I'm, I'm about maxed out, right? <laughs> I don't have another 50%. So it's, it's not tweaking the systems. If you want to grow by 50%, you have, to, you, have to, you have to trust God for a different way of doing the same thing. If you want to grow by 50 to 100%, now you have to make some radical changes. And if you want to grow from 100 to 10,000%, now you have to do brand new things. Does that make sense to anyone? So when God wants to make a significant difference, there's a, there's a, not a, what the Lord seems to be whispering to you guys every time we come is not on, he's not talking about incremental growth, which would mean, okay, just work a little harder, pull together a little more, show a little more commitment. That would be the response to incremental growth. But God's talking to you about significant growth, which means that there's a shift change that needs to come. And so I want to talk to you about finding rest and productivity in God. That's a different way of doing things. Are you interested? So let's look at God's intention for rest. Uh, 1 Timothy 1, here's the principle. Paul says, all of God's work is done by faith. He said to Timothy, don't you know, tell people not to be involved in all these genealogies and bickering. He said, these promote con- controversial speculation rather than advancing God's work, comma, which is by faith. If you want to be involved in God's work, it always is by faith. People say, hear the word work and they think it's by effort. God's work is not by human effort. God's work is accomplished by faith. 
So there can be a banquet laid out and there's somebody at the door guarding the door and if you walk up and you, and you show them, I was invited to the banquet. But you pull out your, look how hard I've worked. They go, sorry sir. But look how long I've been attending church. Sorry sir. Look how much money I've given to the church. Sorry, sir. That's not the ticket I'm looking for. What is the ticket you're looking for? What is the ticket that gets me into the banqueting house of God? It's this one. Faith in the finished work of Jesus. I believe that what Jesus did. Sir, excuse me, sir. You can't go in there. Pull out my Jesus died for me card. But I'm one of the ones he bought. Come right in. See, God's work is always by faith, and so what you believe for, you can receive. But if you don't believe, no matter how much work you put in, still don't get access to what God has prepared for you. So here's the, here's the, here's the fundamental step and shift that must occur. It must go from, I need to do more work, to I need to believe God's promises more. So this is what God does. Because God does not want it to be on the basis of a human sweat equity, he wants it to be on the basis of Jesus' sweat. And so God says, anybody who believes, anybody, I'm going to proclaim my goodness, anybody who believes that can access the goodness. Anybody who doesn't believe what I say cannot access it. And so people try and they go, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to access it. I'm going to access the presence of God. I'm going to access the favor of God. I'm going to access the blessing of God. I'm going to work harder. And God says, the only work I'll receive from you is work that is motivated by your faith. So let's talk about the Sabbath. The, the basic concept of the Sabbath, the Greek word Shabbat and seven and rest, all come from the same root word. So when you introduced in the Jewish mind any one of those concepts, the other two were dragged into the conversation. So if you talked about seven, people thought rest, Sabbath. When you talked about rest, they thought Sabbath and seven. When you talked about Sabbath, they thought seven, rest. This is how the Jewish mind worked. And so whenever God says the Sabbath, that's where everybody goes. So when the scripture talks for the first time about the Sabbath rest, if you use the interpreter's concept of the the law first mention, which says that the first time a concept or a, a topic is introduced in the scriptures usually is a framing time. It's the law of the first mention. It usually frames that topic in a certain way. And the law of first mention works when we come to the Sabbath like this. The first time the Sabbath is mentioned in scripture, which forms the guiding principle for the rest of the scripture of how it's interpreted, is this scripture that's in Genesis 2. It says, thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array, By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. God did not rest on the seventh day because he was exhausted. God rested on the seventh day because he'd perfectly accomplished everything he planned. Okay? It's a subtlety. But people go, well, even God got exhausted. No, he didn't. So then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. 
because on the seventh day he rested from all the work of creating he'd done. God did two things with the Sabbath that are important for us to know. Number one, he blessed it and he made it holy. He said, this is going to be a day set aside for sacred use. And he said, my blessing will be on it. So all God's work is by faith. Any sacrifice that is brought to God that doesn't include faith is a dead work. And then Jesus said, Sabbath, man was not created for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was created for man. God set aside a day, made it holy, and he commanded his blessing on it. And he said, I created this for mankind. This means the intention of God is that you live in a holy place with him with his commanded blessing on your life. You don't have to twist God's arm to try and get there. God designed it like this. God made the Sabbath an estate, a place to live, a way of being, a perpetual season, if you like. God said, you and I live in a state of holiness with me, and I've commanded my blessing on the Sabbath. That blessing, that word used everywhere else in Genesis means fruitfulness, rich abundance, and command. There is a holy place of commanded blessing that God intends everybody to live in. And of course, that was lost when Adam and Eve sinned, but it was restored to us when Jesus came back and died a perfect life. Jesus intends for you and I to live in a place of commanded blessing and holiness with him. Now, Adam and Eve did not lie around all day. They were managing the creation of God. It wasn't like there was nothing for them to do wasn't Caribbean beach vacation forever. They were managing. They were handling things. They were doing stuff. It wasn't like there wasn't work involved, but there was always rest and peace, and there was commanded blessing. So I always say they had to be careful where they spat seeds because if they'd eat an apple and they'd spit out the cord, there'd be an apple. You know, just Because there's commanded blessing where they live, right? They're living under the commanded blessing of God because they're living in a Sabbath rest with God. They sin, they get kicked out, and God, God curses the ground. So let's talk a little bit about lessons from Cain and Abel because God curses the ground. He said he didn't curse Adam and Eve. People say, oh, he, God cursed them. No, he didn't. He just explained to them the consequences of their actions. He said to Eve, because you've done this, this man who used to pour himself out for you used to love you and now he's going to dominate you. Because, you know why, Eve? Because you invited sin in, and now sin's taking root in his heart, and he's going to be a pig. He's going to be selfish. He's going to want to dominate you. And you go to Adam, by the way, you thought this sweet little woman, she's going to now manipulate you, buddy. Because sin entered it. You guys did something, and now sin is in her heart. And that sweet woman, now she's not so sweet anymore. Amen? So they're out... And and then God said, "Um, by the way, the ground is now cursed because of you. And the ground, which formerly was blessed, will now no longer produce for you. Now it's going to produce thorns and thistles. And with painful labor and with the sweat of your brow, it'll produce for you. So they're out, kicked out of the garden, and they're living in the desert land. And Cain and Abel are born. And around the dinner table... Adam and Eve are talking about how it used to be when they walked with God in the garden. And Cain and Abel cannot believe it. Because they're living in the desert. 
and they're living under a curse, and the ground is cursed, and they're not, it's not producing much at all, and it's hard, painful, sweaty labor, barely to get by. And Adam and Eve are talking about opulence and favor and just all kinds of fruit and anything they wanted to eat they could. And the sons go, we should, we should connect with God again. So they make a decision. Three months' time, we're going to bring God a sacrifice. We're going to honor him. And then maybe God will reconnect with us. And so Cain goes out early mornings and he works the late, painful labor with the soil because he was a farmer and he's sweating and he's working. And long after the sun sets, he drags himself in and collapses in bed. And Abel is asleep long ago because Abel's got the, the flock all corralled in a cave and he's gone, gone to sleep. Next, Cain's out again. And after the three months, Cain, Cain brings in on a wheelbarrow the produce that he has sweated 13, 14 hours a day for for the last three months. And the family in, in decades had not seen that much fruit and vegetables. It's just an astounding pile of hard work. That represents 12 to 14 hours a day for three months. No breaks, just hard work. And Cain puts it out and he's happy. And I could not have done better. And he lays out this treasure trove of food. And Abel brings in some of the fat of one of the firstborn of his flock. And they make a sacrifice. And secretly the family are standing back there and they're looking at what this represents in terms of man hours. And this, this was a couple of hours of work, killing one of the flock. This is hours and hundreds of hours. And secretly they're a little embarrassed because they go, it's not even close. And God visits with them and God says, I love the sacrifice of Abel. I don't like the sacrifice of Cain. And they're shocked. Because here's the principle. God doesn't like man's sweat on his sacrifices. God doesn't like man's sweat on his sacrifices. This is why later on when he created the temple, he said the priests have to wear a certain type of clothing, which doesn't make them sweat. Because I don't want priests sweating while they add my sacrifices. I don't like man sweat on my sacrifice. And somehow religion has taught us a little, more, a little bit more man sweat. If you just served a little more, if you just prayed a little more, if you just cried a little louder, if you just hung in there a little longer in that fast, then that will unlock heaven for you. And I've got good news for you. God doesn't like man sweat on his sacrifice. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. And in the course of time, Cain brought some of the first fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. And the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. And let me just say, for those who believe that the way into God's favor is their hard work, they still get angry with the Abels of the world who believe for that righteousness and do not work for it by themselves. And so 
favor and blessing and intimacy with God are not secured by my sweat, but by the blood that Jesus sweated. That make sense? We've worked hard to attain a righteousness that could not be earned, but could only be awarded. That's why Hebrews 11 says, by faith, Abel brought a better offering than Cain. It wasn't by effort. It was because one of the brothers added faith to their sacrifice. That's why God liked it. It was faith. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks. Do you know that Abel is still speaking today? Do you know what he's saying? It's faith that pleases God. Can you hear him? Abel is still speaking today. That's why the scripture says, Abel still speaks. Faith pleases God. And if you want to have a step change, if you want to step into the blessing and walk into the promises, and if you want a significant change, it's not by, just dig a little deeper, guys. It's by open up your heart and believe a little more. Dare to believe the promise. But I could be doing more. Yeah, not until you rest from your own works. When you make this internal decision, I'm going to not try and earn it. I'm going to believe Jesus has already earned it for me. Something changes. Romans 9. But the people of Israel who pursued the law as the way of righteousness have not attained their goal. They have not attained righteousness. Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith but as if it were by works. They pursued righteousness, right standing with God, not by faith. They pursued it as though the mechanism of attainment was by their works. They pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone, which is what the scripture says. I lay a stone in Zion, a precious cornerstone, and the one who believes, to the one who believes, this stone is precious, but to those who don't believe, it becomes a stumbling stone. They stumble over the stumbling stone because they believe, like the older brother of the prodigal, that it's my effort that will unlock the inheritance to me. So the the younger brother says, my dad is so generous and so kind, even his servants, even his slaves are well fed and well, I'm going to go be a slave to my dad. And he comes back because in his heart, he said, he's such a good dad. And the older brother said, he's such a mean, stingy old guy. He never even gave me one time a meal to celebrate with my friends. And so when the other son comes home, his dad kills the fatted calf, they're having a feast and the older son is ticked because the inheritance the second time has been released to this guy who doesn't deserve it. Because he understood it doesn't come by effort, it comes by faith. Some of you are going to get this. Let's talk about lessons from Noah. Genesis 7. The Lord had said to Noah, go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I found you righteous in this generation, and take with you seven pairs of every kind of clean animal. Remember we said, when you hear seven, God's talking about rest and Sabbath. 
take with you the Sabbath animal and, and the male and its mate and everyone, and so they go, and that's what they do. And seven pairs of every kind of bird, male and female, to keep the various kinds alive throughout the earth. Now the waters come down and the flood happens. And God's judgment against the sin of all mankind at that stage, this is the propitiation. This is the flood that absorbed the wrath of God. And in the waters of Noah, all the anger and the wrath of God against every sin is completely slaked. And everybody dies except the eight that are on the ark. And then the ark comes to rest on a mountain called Ararat. You know what Ararat means? The curse is reversed. And says, on the first day of the first month of Noah's 601st year, that's the first day of his Sabbath century. Right? On the first day of the first month of the 601st year, the waters receded from the earth. When, when Noah stepped into his Sabbath century, propitiation was over and there was rest. Noah comes out of the ark and it says he, take, he takes one of, the clean, one of the clean animal pairs, the seventh animal, the Sabbath animal, and he makes a sacrifice to the Lord and he sacrifices it to the Lord. Um, sorry, let me just go back to that scripture. In verse, uh, Genesis 8, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and taking some of all the clean animals and the clean birds, he sacrifices burnt offerings on it and the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma. In the original language, that word, the pleasing aroma, you know what it says? When the Lord smelled the odor of rest. That's literally what it says. When God smelled the odor of rest, he said, Never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though the every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. Never again will I destroy all the living creatures as I have done. God said, I'm never going to do this again. This is going to be the way it is. And so God says, okay, because he smelled, because Noah comes out of the ark, and Noah is not trying to please God by his actions, he's trying to please God by faith, he offers a sacrifice. God smells the odor of rest on the sacrifice, and he says to Noah, now the ground is blessed because of you. We don't have time to read it. And Noah steps out onto blessed ground under favored skies. Because there's a, there's a rainbow under the promise of God, I'll never be angry with you again. And by the way, the ground is going to be blessed because of you. And so Noah, everything Noah now plants is just flourishing. And there's food galore because Noah just produces amazing things. Now Isaiah 54 picks up that same thing. And God remembers us in our covenant with the days of Noah. In verse 54 Verse 8, it says, In a surge of anger, I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kindness, I'll have compassion on you, says the Lord your Redeemer. To me, this is like the days of Noah, when I swore that the waters would never again cover the earth. So now I have sworn not to be angry with you, never to rebuke you again. And though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. We're back to the compassions of God on you every morning. I swear, God said, the last time I swore this oath was with Noah. And I said, Noah, I swear by myself, I'll never again judge the earth like this. And he says, to me, 
Isaiah 52, the suffering servant. Isaiah 53, how they beat and crucified Jesus. Isaiah 54, God says to me, this is like the days of Noah. When I swore to him, I'll never do it again. Now I'm swearing it to you. I will never be angry with you. I will never remove my covenant of peace or my loving kindness from you ever again. (laughs) Now here's here's the issue. I'm just, I'm not even, I'm not even trying to preach. I'm just trying to read you scripture. That promise went out. Because I declared it again. Anybody in this room, anybody in this room, who reached up and took it by faith, has access to it. Anybody. So no matter what you've done, where you've been, if you just said, I believe, boom. then you have access to the unfettered favor of God on your life. Anybody who didn't believe, because God's work is by faith and some people go no it can't be that easy I'm going to go out and fast for 21 days and then I'm going to read my Bible for 2 hours a day and then I'm going to witness to 25 people a day and then surely God will be happy with me those are all good things but God's happy with you right now if you receive it by faith Noah chose faith and rest And so God commanded blessing on his life because he chose Sabbath. Now Hebrews says, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. A place of invitation that God set aside from the beginning, from the first time he made man, and at the beginning of the next decade of DCF's life. We all enter God's promises this way. Not with sweat equity, but with faith equity. <laughs> okay. Moses leads a generation to the promised land. They won't go in. You know why? Because they don't believe God. And so they die out. And then Joshua is going to lead the next generation in. You know what the Lord says to him? He says, you're going to have to go in by faith. Because they said... Entering the promised land was finding their rest. They said God will give us rest in the promised land. In the, in the Jewish mind, in the old covenant, rest was, was by entering into the promises. And you'll find rest when you walk into the promises of God. You'll find joy and peace. You'll have rest too. I understand why they call it rest. But God said if Joshua had given them rest, there wouldn't be this call in the scripture for another day. And so the scripture says today, if you hear his voice, oh, God will give you rest. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God because anybody who enters into rest Rest ceases from their own works. Let me go. Hebrews 4.9. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. You cannot enter the rest of God and still be clinging to, I'm going to prove myself to God. For we've also had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter the rest. Do you understand the mechanism of how you enter the rest, how you step into the promises, how you walk into the promised land is not because you were but because you believe and then that faith inspires actions that the Bible calls obedience. God 
says the message they heard was of no value to them because God proclaimed his goodness. I'm going to take you into the promised land. I'm going to give you the houses of giants. I'm going to prosper you. And the Bible says they heard all the promises but did not combine it with faith. And they said, wow, it's a tall order. We're going to have to go and try as hard as we can. and Maybe we can get this right. And God said, I didn't say you would do it for me. I said I would do it for you. <laughs> and, and we go, well, I'm going to make myself clean. God said, whoa, 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 I didn't say you need to do it for me. I said, my son would do it for you. Your job is to believe. So the way they went into the promised land, and we spoke about this last time, there was a river in flood. He said, pick up the ark and walk at the flooded river. And they got closer to the river, and they got closer to the river, and the river was still in flood. And one step off the river bank, the river was still in flood. Because God had said to Joshua, I'm going to give you every place, everywhere you put your foot. And if they'd have stopped on this side of the river, then this would have been what God gave them. And, and they, if they didn't have the faith to put their foot in a river, they would have never seen the river dry. But the first time the first priest put his foot in the river, the river started to slow down. And by the time they got to the middle of the river, the river had, was dead. All the promises of God for you are right here. It just takes one person in the room to go, I believe you can, you can walk right in. Because just one person says, I believe, and then the blessing of God, and the, and the rivers will stop, and the, the waters will wall up, and you can walk in and take hold of things, and people will be petrified of you, and you won't be scared of the devil, the devil will be scared of you, and you won't be looking for provision, provision will be looking for you, and you won't be worried about war, you'll have won the war before you got there, because you walked in faith, and any time you walk in the faith of God, this is the key. So I feel like, let me close with this. The call of God to DCF is not to more effort, but to more faith. That's why this message about the promises rings so true for me. There are promises God has spoken. Promises are currency in the kingdom. In the spirit realm, promises are currency. If you'll take a promise from God and add faith to it, it, it happens. Many years ago, I was a teenager. I was hungry. I came home. My mother was out working. There was no, I was hungry. I felt like a cake. I found a cake mixture. I, I threw it in a bowl, and I added water, and I stirred it up, and I put it in a, in a baked solid, like a brownie, and it was supposed to be a... Just, I thought it was just add water and stir, but then I found out there's milk and eggs, and there's all sorts of things you had to add. And so the promises of God... Is a one-step process. Just to add faith and stir. Just to add faith. God's got some promises for you, and I, I would just echo the word. I dare you to go and dig up the promises God's made to you and God's made on the house and just go, okay, Lord, we're going to decide to enter rest. Because on the, on the Sabbath day, there's a commanded blessing. In the Old Covenant, when people chose to rest on the sixth day, they could pick up double portion. And it wouldn't rot, and it would sustain them during the seventh day while they rested. 
Every seven years, a farmer was not allowed to go out, and a farmer who chose to obey God and rest on the sixth year, God would see to it that not only was the sixth year harvest come in, but enough for the seventh year and enough for the eighth year until they found the harvest came in in the eighth year. There was a commanded blessing if you decided to obey the Sabbath. In the Jubilee year, the 49th year was a Sabbath year. So you worked on the 48th year, but you weren't allowed to work on the 49th year. And the 50th year was Jubilee. And so God saw to it that the crop, the harvest that came in on the 48th year was enough for the, the 48th year, the 49th year, the 50th year, and into the 51st year. God commanded blessing on those who chose to step into Sabbath. Because if you're a farmer, can you just imagine this? God is always looking for faith from his people. If you're a farmer and God says, all right, now this year, I don't want you to work. Go, but... Uh, I don't know if any of you know farmers, but farmers are usually hard-working people. They get out at four in the morning, they work milking the cows and working. Now you're not allowed to work as a farmer. What do you do all day? Well, you connect with your kids, you meet your neighbors. What do you eat? I don't know. You have to trust God, right? So a farmer who said, all right, I'm going to enter rest, required faith. It's going to require some faith from some of you. Well, I don't want it to be by faith. I want it to be by effort. Well, that's not the way it works. I feel like there's a, there's a call in the Spirit for the Lord to say, Hey, I want to bless you, but I want you to be in rest, and I want to command my blessing on you. But you being more, more sweat equity, more tense, more effort, does not bring the blessing that God puts on rest. Psalm 127 to you, and I promise I'll close with this. In vain you stay up late and wake up early, toiling anxiously for food to eat. For he gives to those he loves in their sleep. Father, I thank you for what you're doing in this church and what you've proclaimed over the season. That there is a place of your commanded blessing, Lord, when your people choose to rest. And I pray, Lord, for DCF. I pray, Lord, that there'd be just a few, just 20 or 30 or so, who dare to add faith to what you've already mixed into the bowl. And I pray, Lord, for supernatural, unbelievable. We would not have believed it if you'd have told us blessing and expansion and favor. I pray that, Lord, there'd be 10 or 20 families that just have absolute breakthrough. Absolute breakthrough. Miracles and provisions ongoingly. Not one or two, Lord, a perpetual. Five or six a month for the year. That's what I'm asking for. Because they just dared to say, yeah, I think I'm going to believe you for that. So, Father, we just step over. We dare to walk at a flooding river. And we say, that's my promise on the other side. And so, Father, we dare to step into the waters full of faith. And I thank you, Lord, that things that have been denied people for generations, 45 years, Lord, 45 years, some of the people who walked through that river, they'd been waiting for 45 years. So I pray, Lord, for the explosion of breakthrough all across the church. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to share um, just quickly. I know we're running a little bit late, but this is a special day. Last night I shared um, at the end about the vision that God has for us as we go into the future. About 10 years ago, right after Karen and I came, we were in a back room back there because that's where we prayed. And we went in that back room and prayed. 
we were apparently ashamed of prayer. No, I'm just kidding. It just had to be the place we prayed. And so we went back there and prayed, and there was a word over us. It was a very interesting word. And uh, there was a picture of a chair. I've shared this numerous times. It was like an Adirondack chair that sat out in this beautiful garden. Um, the person who shared it was actually Paul. That's your uh, son-in-law, um, very prophetic guy. Um, he's British. And Karen and I had happened to live in England and at one point, and a garden in England is not the same thing as a garden in America, right? So a garden in England is the yard. It's beautiful. It's, it rains a lot in England, so everything's green. <laughs> it's beautiful. So he says, in this garden, there's a master gardener. And again, this British context, uh, a master gardener was someone usually who, who oversaw an estate. They, they weren't just the guy who mowed the grass. You with me? And so the master gardener comes out and he takes this, this chair, this Adirondack chair, and, it's, and it's, uh, it's in disrepair. It's been painted numerous times, but it's, the paint's chipping. It's just looking rough. And he takes that chair and he takes it into his workhouse, into his workshop, and he takes it out of the elements and he puts it in a safe place and he sands it down. And I remember hearing that in a governmental word and I was like, oh, Jesus, help us all. Because sanding is not fun in a church. <laughs> that means old things are going to have to come off and it's not real pretty. So I'm like, Lord, help us. And then the next word was, and he got it down to the natural beauty of the wood and then he shellacked it, he covered it, and he made it, he made it beautiful. It, his original intent and then he, he made it safe. He covered it. It was protected. And then he took it out and he sat it in the garden. And that was the end of the word. And I've been thinking a lot about that over the last 10 years. And I love, it just hit me as Greg was talking. That picture could have been anything. It could have been a car, right, that needed repair with a, a, an opportunity for ministry to, you know, because oftentimes vehicles are car, or vehicles are ministry. It wasn't. It was a chair, What's so special about a chair? <laughs> you can't drive a chair. <laughs> you rest. That's what you do. You rest. And God's intent, long before we ever knew where we would come 10 years later, that he would explain to us. Uh, last night was so funny. Everybody that seemed to share their testimony goes, I came to DCF and Dave was talking about grace again. <laughs> Again, and it'll probably happen again, right? Why? Because if we get this, if we get this, what's the Lord offering? Who is He making us as a church? He's reminding us what I've done, who I've called you to be, is a place where people can come in and they can rest. They can understand what rest really means and they can learn this principle Greg shared today that it's not by your effort. Most of us have come in with. Sweat off, hanging off our brow. I just want to, some people walk in, I just want to wipe their head for them. I'm like, can you just sit down for a second? <laughs> Working so hard. But it takes, at some point, takes this measure of faith, this moment where you go, uh, th- that's different than what I thought, and I'm willing to rethink this. I, I think it very interesting Kyle shared. We, we had Kyle's testimony. And here's one of the youngest guys among us. And today happened to be that day Val pushed in. We don't normally do a testimony if someone comes the same day. Um, Val pushed in. She said, I think this is important. And I just want to end it with this. Um, I don't think it's an accident that one of the youngest among us, right, comes and his whole concept is I give to the Lord because I believe God's good. I believe he will take care of me. I believe he will help me get a bicycle, right? 
<laughs> so when he wants to work hard and go, no, I can't give God my money. I have to save it all up because I have to pay full price and I can never afford it. And then he goes and he gives in an act of faith. And he says, Lord, I trust you with my money that you're gonna use it for your purposes and I trust your way, not my way. And I'm going to rest with my money. And right away, you know, he finds a bicycle that's three times less than what he was willing to pay. I don't think that's an accident. So I just want to remind you again, we're onto something. <laughs> we're onto something. And what God is doing among us is amazing. It's beautiful and it's ongoing. And it is ours because of the goodness of God, not because we're so special or did anything right or worked too hard or I worked harder than anybody else, but because we simply like that son who came in and said, you know, I believe my, my father's a good father and I'm going to place my trust in him and I'm going to just be part of my father's business. And now everything he asked me to do, I don't have to come up with the way to do it myself. I don't have to come up with the money. I don't have to come up with the resources. I have to trust that because I'm part of my father's kingdom and he's the king and he's my father, that every resource that I will ever need to do his will has already been made available to me. Amen? That's good news. Why don't you stand with me? Jesus, we love you. Thank you so much. Lord, thank you for every good gift that comes from, from you, our Father. And so, Lord, we lean into this word. We, we dig up the promises, Lord. Help us to remember to go home this week, Lord, and just pull those promises out and take a fresh look, a new day, Lord, new mercies every day, Lord. You've always been the same, but for us, you're reminding us and you're bringing us this place once again, and you will do something astounding in our midst. We can't wait. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.